Our first uh, scripture reading of the morning is from the book of Philippians, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. A very familiar passage, I'm sure, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So by a show of hands, uh, I want to ask you a question as I sort of launch us into the message. How many of you remember where you were and what you were doing when you heard the news that President John F. Kennedy had been shot in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963? How about Robert F. Kennedy? Martin Luther King Jr. Pearl Harbor for some of our older adults. Roger, see in the back. How about when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon? Or when uh, President Reagan was shot in 1981? Significant moments like these seem to get uh, frozen in time in our minds. It's almost as if the world suddenly stops and that event is permanently seared in our memories. Well, on September 11, 2001, all of us can remember where we were and what we were doing when we heard the news that Tuesday morning. I was at home and I was getting ready to go to church in Wake Forest, North Carolina, when I heard on the radio that an airplane had flown into the uh, World Trade Center in New York City. And I remember thinking at the time that it must have been some kind of mechanical failure or pilot error because back in 1945, an airplane crashed into the Empire State Building because of heavy fog. And so I quickly turned on the TV. And I was unaware, as most in the nation were at that moment, that what just happened was no tragic accidents but it was, it was a deliberate act of terrorism by radical Islamic extremists. Because only a few minutes later, a second plane hit the World Trade Center. And then the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. was under attack. And then there was a plane missing somewhere east of Pittsburgh. And then the towers collapsed to the ground. We all watched those horrific events unfold before us, the destruction the devastation, the smoke, the fire, the loss of lives. And I know personally for me, no matter how many times I saw an airplane fly into the World Trade Center, I still couldn't believe that it was real. It was a place that I had worked at for four years prior to going to seminary. And yet in just a couple of hours that Tuesday morning, what became known as Ground Zero also became the burial ground for almost 3,000 people. Now, before September 11th, the greatest loss of lives in American history occurred on September 17, 1862, during the Battle of Antietam in the Civil War. You can see the slide in the back. 
Approximately 7,000 Confederate and Union soldiers lost their lives in battle. But on September 11th, 2001, thousands of Americans going about their daily lives and their daily business suddenly had them snuffed out by terrorists on one of the worst days in our history. Some people even claim to see the face of a demon in the smoke billowing from the World Trade Center. <laughs> Whether that was true or not, I don't know. But there were certainly demonic forces at work that day. And in the aftermath, all of us had an ache in our soul the size of the Grand Canyon. And we knew that it was going to be hard to dig out from underneath all that emotional rubble that was over us and around us. And for me, it's hard to believe because that was 20 years ago yesterday. Since then, we've had to make adjustments as we live in now what is called a post 9-11 world. Things that were once considered unthinkable are now just business as usual. Because everything we do now, we have to do a lot more carefully, don't we? We take off our shoes. And we're much more careful as we put our phones and our belts and our computers in those little gray plastic bins as we go through airport checkpoints. We're more aware of the people around us and where the exits are when we're in large crowds. We're careful not to pack anything in our carry-on bag that may get flagged by a detector like a bottle of water or a pocket knife. Other than that, though, very little, I think, has changed, except for the men and women in our armed forces who continue to pay an awesome price for our freedom. Church attendance even spiked. That was just for a short time. Now here we are again, living in the midst of COVID-19. It has been an interesting 18 months, I'll give you that. And where there was a whole lot of unity in the country coming together, people being neighborly after 9-11, there seems to be very little unity these days in terms of dealing with the pandemic. And so there needs to be a way for us to spiritually disaster-proof our lives as we humbly recognize our utter dependency upon God. And so what I want to do with you for just a couple of minutes is give you some practical tips for godly living as we go through the fears and the struggles and the storms in a post-9-11, post-pandemic world. The words that I want to share with you come from the very lips of Jesus. And so I invite you to join me as I read from his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, 
let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, we are gathering this morning with churches all across this country to remember, to reflect, but most importantly, to worship you. Help us to be open to hear a holy word from you and do in these moments what only your Holy Spirit can do. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in his Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, Jesus gives us a purpose to grab onto and carry out with us as we leave here and enter this troubling world. You know, there are a lot of businesses, there are churches that are constantly examining or re-examining their mission statements or their vision statements to try to help figure out what their purpose is. Well, Jesus has given us a purpose too. Now, many people will think, oh, I know my purpose. I've got skills, I've got abilities, I've got talents. What I need to do is match them with some kind of need in society. So my mission is simply to match my skills with the marketplace in order for me to make as much money as I possibly can. The problem is if you live that way, your lives are going to be taken up with how questions. How questions. How am I going to find the right job? How am I going to be productive every day? How am I going to make it to Friday without going crazy? How am I going to make it in school if I have to wear a mask all the time? And so what happens is those how questions drain the joy right out of our lives. Unless we have some why questions. Why did God put me on earth? Why has God strategically placed me right here in Quarryville? Why did God put me with this group of friends? Why am I a part of Chestnut Level Presbyterian Church? Well, Jesus gives us the answer to those why questions when he says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Notice Jesus doesn't say, avoid crowds, don't travel, stay at home. Doesn't say that. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father in heaven. Susan Reddick had two toddlers. She was seven months pregnant with a third child when her husband, David, a 33-year-old venture capitalist, died on American Airlines Flight 11, which crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. She says, I went nutso and took the, I'll get through this by staying so busy, I don't have to think approach. Obviously, that only worked for so long. Several months after her tragic loss, she was watching a television show about the lives of impoverished women in Afghanistan. And remembering the overwhelming offers of food and consolation that came her way after 9-11, Susan Reddick decided to let her light shine before others. And along with another 9-11 widow, she started a charity called Beyond the 11th that has raised hundreds of thousands of dollars to to help empowered widows and their children in Afghanistan by teaching them such skills as raising poultry and making rugs. And now, as things have taken a turn for the worst in Afghanistan, she writes this. 
during this complex and difficult time, our hearts and our every thought are with the people of Afghanistan. We are in contact with our partners on the ground and will continue to do all we can to monitor and respond to the needs of the women we were founded to serve. Friends, you've heard me say this a bunch of times before. When the world is at its worst, the church needs to be at its best. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he is giving us a sense of his power. If you're someone out there who plays uh, tennis or golf, you know that there's something called the sweet spot in the middle of every tennis racket or every golf club. And when you hit it on that sweet spot, that ball just takes off. In fact, it's like you're going through butter. You don't even feel any resistance. You swing and bam, that ball just jumps. Well, did you know that there's a sweet spot in the Christian life? A place where your life has the greatest power and its greatest meaning. To hit that sweet spot is to be the light of the world. It's like going from regular TV to HDTV. It's like going from a, a, a rotary phone to a cell phone. From being a Baptist to being a Presbyterian. But you know, we also have to be salt of the earth. Before the days of refrigeration, you, you rubbed salt into the meat as a preservative. And so you might imagine just in your mind, God kind of looking down at this church this morning and seeing what looks like a humongous salt shaker. And after the benediction, in a couple minutes, God grabs one end of the building and he shakes it and we all tumble out the doors like little pieces of salt as we touch the world with God's grace and mercy. It's not enough for us to remain within the walls of this church. But without com contact, there is no impact. If salt's main purpose is to penetrate into food, then our purpose in life is to penetrate into the lives of people. And friends, God has called us to touch this decaying world. Because if this world is a rotten place that stinks to high heaven, then the obvious question is gonna be, where's the salt? Is it still in the salt shaker? Or is it out in the world? Do you know that uh, Morton Salt has a booklet on the internet which describes the many household uses for salt? In one place it says, salt isn't just for sprinkling on food, it's for scouring and scrubbing too. And then in this booklet, they give you tips that range from how to remove a ketchup stain from a carpet to how to, how to make your glass flower vases sparkle. One tip is on how to freshen your garbage disposal. It says this, pour one half cup of salt into the disposal and run it according to the manufacturer's directions. Well, friends, as salt... We are called by God to bring the sweet aroma of the love of Jesus Christ into this dirty, smelly, scary world, working always under the direction of the manufacturer of the cosmos. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You also need to remember post 9-11 that God is our rescuer from all evil. And just as first responders have done an amazing job over these past 18 months, 
There are a lot of heroes on September 11th, including the FDNY. Think about it, as people were running out of those buildings, those firefighters were running into that burning wreckage. And over 300 of them, 343, lost their lives. Others died several years later, and some, some still struggle with chronic diseases and, and lung infections. I do remember a cartoon that came out afterwards that showed firefighters in their full rescue gear emerging at the top of a building. They had halos over their heads. And, and the caption has one fireman saying to the other, we made it to the top. We can say this as well, because Jesus Christ came to rescue us from all sin, evil, death, and despair. And finally, in a post 9-11, post-pandemic world, we are to have an absurd peace even in the midst of these uncertain times. After 9-11, we heard a lot about Todd Beamer. He was the young husband and father who led the revolt on Flight 93 to take over that plane from the hijackers. He and some of the other passengers on that plane wrestled it uh, from the hijackers, and as it crashed somewhere near Shanksville, Pennsylvania, saving the lives of thousands of people in Washington, D.C., what you might not know is that what prepared Todd Beamer for heroism was his faith in Jesus Christ. Newsweek magazine told how when the hijackers had herded the passengers all to the back of the plane, Todd Beamer gone on his airplane phone and called the customer service center for GTE in Oak Brook, Illinois. He got on the phone with one of the employees, a woman named Lisa Jefferson. And Lisa Jefferson said she was shocked to hear how calm Todd Beamer's voice was because in the background, she could hear all kinds of screaming and crying. There was Todd Beamer talking softly to her. And he asked, would you pray the Lord's Prayer with me? So the two of them prayed on the phone together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Todd Beamer left the phone on so that Lisa Jefferson could hear what was going on in the background. She heard uh, Todd Beamer talking to the passengers who were around him and leading them in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And only then did Todd Beamer say those words that are famously associated to him. Are you ready? Let's roll. Later on, Lisa Beamer, Todd's wife, was being interviewed by NBC's Dateline. And she said, when Todd prayed the Lord's Prayer, he prayed, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. She said, my husband was praying to forgive the very people for what they were doing, the most horrible thing you could ever do to someone else. Now, Todd Beamer had no way of knowing that his words and his actions would be broadcast to the whole world. But he was prepared through his faith in Jesus Christ, and that gave him a peace in his soul. You heard me read earlier from Paul writing to the Philippians, 
let your gentleness, it literally means your calmness, your unflappability be made known to everyone. As Christians, we are to walk with calm amidst the storms and the uncertainties of life. And even when we are in the midst of a crisis like we seem to be now, as the church, it can be the greatest of opportunities. And so, friends, let's walk through the disasters of this world, giving and loving and sharing. Because Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Gracious Father, on this day when we look back in anguish on the 20th anniversary of September 11th, we thank you that even in the midst of these now unusual and challenging times in which we live, you still give us plenty of opportunities to glorify you. And so God, we ask that you would channel our lingering pain, our fears, our sadness, even our anger, and turn them into avenues that will build your kingdom and allow your church to be both salt and light. To the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.